Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Starting in 2027, all school buses sold in New York can't contribute to our greenhouse gas emissions. And by 2035, all school buses in operation need to be zero emission. And with those deadlines fast approaching, this summer the state released a quote-unquote roadmap on how it envisions dramatically overhauling the transportation of kids to and from school. For more on the state transition, we're joined on the Capitol Press Room by Brian Chechnicki, Executive Director of the Association of School Business Officials of New York. Welcome back to the show, Brian. Great to be back. So for starters, what does the current fleet of school buses in New York look like? For example, I know there's somewhere around 45,000 of them. How many are already electric vehicles? There are very few currently. Before the release of this guidance, I was only aware of a small handful around the state. Nicer to say that's now in the in the hundreds, but um, <laughs> it's still a very, very small portion of the 45,000 buses overall in the state. And when it comes to the traditional process of getting school buses, how often do school districts make this type of purchase? And and is it a big capital purchase for them, at least under the traditional model of getting diesel buses? So definitely a difference among districts. Roughly half of the districts in the state have their own district-operated transportation system. So they're purchasing the buses, they're Mm -hmm. running them, they have the maintenance staff. The other half of districts do contracted services. You see that a lot downstate where there are are sort of third-party providers. So speaking for those that have the district-operated programs, they do have sort of a replacement schedule. It varies by district, but generally you're looking at, you know, sort of a five-year rotation currently with the diesel buses where they'll cycle off some buses, purchase new ones. Those do have to go through a voter approval process. So when you're voting on your school budget in May every year, your district may have a bus purchase uh, proposal. The district I live in this past year purchased three. So they do have sort of a, a rotation cycle there, but voters approve those and they run through the budget process at that point. Well, that roadmap that I mentioned at the top from the Hochul administration, in addition to identifying policy options moving forward, it reviews challenges to transitioning to zero emission buses in the first place. So what are some of the challenges that districts around the state are bracing for? So I I think the biggest challenge is both sort of the cost and the infrastructure. Um, And by infrastructure, we're we're talking about not just the buses themselves, but also the proper charging stations. And it's, it's one thing to have a conversation about the charging stations that you need at your district facility for when the buses are in for the day. But because buses do run, you know, they run field trips, they run to different schools for educational purposes, they run to different schools for sports games. There is sort of a whole infrastructure of planning out those trips and knowing that, well, this bus isn't going to be 
back at its home base charger, and so do we need other chargers elsewhere? The other piece to the infrastructure um, conversation that is that is outside the purview of of school district officials of of all sorts is really the electric infrastructure, right? What is the power generating capacity going to be in the coming years, and will it meet the demand here? I hear that a lot from my members of less concern about what they're going to do in their district and more concern about is the power going to be there, and are we going to see huge spikes in costs as a result of this because of you know simple supply and demand forces. And so certainly those are questions that we at, at the school level don't have answers to. And, and I think they're even in looking at the roadmap here, there's still some questions about what that looks like. The other piece that the roadmap specifically speaks to is there is an acknowledgement that some of the technology that's expected to meet this mandate doesn't yet exist. <laughs> and so it is coming. Um, there are improvements being made, but they do sort of acknowledge that there are pieces that will make this easier that don't exist yet or, or some that do exist but aren't at an appropriate scale. So there is acknowledgement that there's more to come on this in, in terms of getting this pun intended on the road. So then given the variables that are in play right now and the fact that I think the state is supposed to come out with a roadmap like every three years, how useful is this roadmap in terms of something that you could actually follow to get from point A to point Z? Is this more of a guiding principle or or is this a detailed, useful plan for districts at this point? So the roadmap itself did include sort of a supplemental section that includes some guidebook sections in in other topics. Some of those are still yet to be published and will be coming soon. In reading through this, there are still a lot of questions on the implementation side. Some of them NYSERDA is addressing to state policymakers that there are some recommendations of additional resources, policy changes, things that should be considered uh, in order to fully implement this. So there is some guidance on that front, but I, I think on the on the district front, there's a lot of really good information in this document about what types of buses, what types of chargers, what types of services are, are available or are potentially going to be available in the very near future. But there isn't quite the hand-holding of, okay, district official, here are the five things that you need to do. And, and some of that really, as I was saying earlier, ties back to other state you know, policy decisions. What are we doing on the power generation? One of the things that I've been thinking a lot about is, you know, we've, we've talked about the infrastructure of putting these buses on the road. To me, there's also sort of a policy infrastructure. And, and what I mean by that is there are certain allowances and disallowances we have right now in the transportation rules with sharing services and districts piggybacking on one another's bus routes and uh, when you use their facilities. And and I think what is becoming clear in sort of this all-electric future is there really needs to be much more of a network of infrastructure so that when buses are traveling around the state, they're able to pop in, get the electricity that they need. And so I, I do think there's there's some areas in state policy that we're going to start to have to look at to, to sort of right size what exists to what's going to be needed to to make this successful. Well, given the lack of infrastructure that's in place right now and all these variables, are districts taking a wait and see approach for the most part? Or because of the availability of certain incentives right now, are districts willing to head into the great unknown and start buying some of these electric school buses? So I I know many districts have really been waiting until at least the publication of this roadmap. We and others had been advising that that districts to sort of dive into starting to purchase these buses without knowing sort of what the state was was going to say was um, 
you know, sort of best practices um, was probably not a great idea. So a lot of districts really haven't done much in the lead up to waiting for this to be published. Now that this is out, there will be districts that are going to start taking a hard look at it. You know, and I sort of specifically in this document anticipates that even though the transition begins in 2027, they're looking at about 3,000 buses between now and then that are going to be converted into electric buses. And so they're at least anticipating that. I don't know exactly where we're going to see, you know, if we're going to see pockets of that in particular parts of the state. But I think that's the type of thing that, you know, we're going to be engaged with NYSERDA and, and other state partners in connecting to connecting to our members and certainly having conversations with superintendents and school boards as well. So I, I think in the coming months, we'll get a better feel of who's ready to, to take that leap and who's not. But um, really, people were waiting until the state came out with this document to, to really start working on it. Are there meaningful subsidies out there right now to help bridge the cost gap between, say, a, a diesel bus and an electric bus, which can be potentially more than $200,000? The biggest subsidy that's there is, is existing transportation aid. You know, this is a, a formula that um, the state currently reimburses the diesel buses on. Uh, it, it will apply for these added costs. And for many districts, they may be at an 80 or 90% reimbursement rate. So a lot of that will be picked up by transportation aid. There is an addition to that. And I sort of lays out a couple different grant program availabilities. There's also $500 million in the Bond Act that was passed last year. They're still working on getting out the, the details on, on how to access that fund. So there are funds available. That all being said, even if you're at 90% reimbursement from the state, uh, to, to sort of your point, if, if your share of that 10% doubles, right, that's, that's still a, a, a budgetary cost um, that, that you need to take into account. And there's a lot of districts in the state under the property tax cap, they're only looking at potentially a couple hundred thousand dollars in additional tax revenue every year. And so if you're talking also $200,000 in additional bus costs, right? The, those numbers really start to add up. What's the penalty for non-compliance? Can school districts just claim poverty in 2035 and just keep running diesel buses? Or, or is there some sort of stick that's going to drive a- action by school districts one way or another? I don't believe there's a specific uh, penalty written into the statute on this, but... Um you know, it is it is clearly a priority of the governor and the legislature. There, there's you know, they're looking at other similar mandates and other similar incentive programs. You know, outside of school buses and looking at all sorts of other other environmental impacts. So, even if there isn't one currently in place, it is mandated. And and I suspect if if there were some intransigence in the future, that you know there might be some reaction to that. So we've been a supporter of of moving forward with this. We have we have simply asked in in our conversations with the state that you know we we do this in in the right way and that we be mindful of challenges that present themselves the state being able to be flexible on that and if you know if the if the technology doesn't show up in the ways that they expect it to then hopefully we'll see some acknowledgement of that and and you know applying the requirements accordingly and we're talking about a mandate that is a decade plus away at, at this point is that enough time to replace buses that are out there given their ordinary life cycle? Or will some school districts have to potentially take diesel buses off the road prior to when they might have died? I, yeah, I think so. I think that's part of the cycling nature here. So to the extent there are diesel buses prior to 2027 that, that need to come off the road, 
um, they will. And, you know, if even in 2026 you're buying a new diesel bus, that will still be compliant. The issue will be a diesel bus purchased in 2026 if for some reason that comes off the road in a year or two. At that point, that would need to be replaced by an electric vehicle. And so a lot of that is sort of unknown until we get there in terms of the availability and how that's going to play out. Well, I guess what I'm saying is if I buy a diesel bus in 2026, is there a reason to believe that it will no longer be useful by 2035? Or could I potentially come up against this mandate in 2035 with some useful buses? And if that's the case, what do I do with them? Do I just have to retire them early? Yeah, I, I think the, and actually so this gets acknowledged uh, again in the in the roadmap here. One of the probably one of the biggest issues, and especially with the the newer electric vehicles, because the power and battery infrastructure um, is is sort of uh, so high tech. The the biggest issue with those buses is going to be the chassis and their reaction to salt in the winter. And so I think in your example, I don't imagine a diesel bus is going to last, uh, you know, that eight year period because for those same reasons, you're you know the the salt that we deal with in the road in winter times in New York just eats at at these uh, vehicles. And so I'm not an expert on actual buses, but based on what's here, I can't imagine that there's going to be you know huge amounts of of diesel buses that are that are going to be able to still still make it on the road eight, nine years later after they've been purchased. And finally, when we talk about zero emission vehicles, we're traditionally thinking of something that runs on a battery. Are there other types of zero emission buses that we should be thinking about? For example, are, are hydrogen fuel cells something that could work in buses? Is there some sort of technology that I don't know about uh, that you and the ASBO are cooking up? Um, what's the technology out there that makes the most sense, at least right now? So I, I won't take credit for this knowledge again, uh, learning this from NYSERDA in their publication, but um, hydrogen buses are um, are not there yet. That's one of the technology pieces that aren't there. They um, they sort of spell out the possibility that, that those buses will provide in the future in, in terms of ramping uh, this requirement up in future years, but but they're not there today. So um, the the battery powered electric bus really is uh, sort of the uh, sort of the end of the line here, at least as we look today. One of the things that I've heard from district officials is, you know, what about lower emission vehicles, right? Many districts have converted some of their school buses to using propane and natural gas and other things. And and there have been some questions about if those are lower emission than diesel buses, is that an acceptable? At least under the requirement as it exists today, the answer is no. Um, but I think that's potentially uh, you know an area that we can be exploring in the next couple of years, depending on how this implementation process plays out. Well, we've been speaking with Brian Chechnicki. He is the executive director of the Association of School Business Officials of New York. Brian, thanks for visiting us in the studio. Thanks for having me back. Is your business, agency, or service interested in delivering your message to more than two dozen radio stations statewide carrying Capital Press Room? If so, visit capitalpressroom.org to contact our underwriting team.